so good to be here with you guys. I'm missing being here on Wednesday mornings with you all. So it's so good to see your faces. So today we find ourselves in chapters four and five of First Samuel, and we have a story full of characters, choices, and consequences. It's a narrative filled with unexpected or maybe not so unexpected events. And as we walk through it today, we see the themes of hard wise, awe, and repentance woven throughout. All really light and fluffy themes. It's going to be super easy this morning. The text opens with an impending battle between Israel and the Philistines. The Philistines are camped at Aphek, and this battle is noted as one of the seven major battles between these two people groups. On this day, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, and 4,000 men were killed. And when the people returned to the camp after the battle, the elders of Israel asked, why has the Lord defeated us today? Let's zero in on this tiny three-letter word, why. Why? It can come under so many different circumstances with different tones, different emotions, and different motivations for the outcome. We unveil our wants and our why. Our heart aches. And from those, we find answers that can vary from the most simple to those left only for eternity. Why is our flight delayed? Why is there another storm coming? Why didn't I get invited? Why did I get this diagnosis? Why did you take him from me? Why? Why is our hard? Why's can be filled with frustration? Why's are sad and on vastly varying levels, especially when the suffering just makes no sense. I hate how wise make me feel, especially in the beginning, for the way they make me feel out of control, for the temper tantrums they bring out of me before the Lord. There are a lot of different stances that God hears our wise from, demands, complaints, and desperation. Yet here's the good news. No matter where our wise come from, he wants to draw near, to hear them, And give us himself as the answer. His fullness is the answer to our demands. His provision is the answer to our complaints. And his promises of unfailing love to our desperation. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. God hears our wise and has Since the beginning of time, Moses in Exodus five, Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? And in Exodus 17, why is it that you brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children? In Joshua seven, Joshua says, oh, Lord God, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan? In Job 10, why then did you bring me out of the womb? David in Psalm 10, why do you stand far away, Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And in Matthew 27, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Laura's story in When God Doesn't Fix It, lessons you never wanted to learn, but truths you can't live without. She writes this. The disciples asked, why was this man born blind? And in this question, they were asking why for all of us. 
But in his answer, Jesus didn't respond directly to the why. Instead, he changed the why question to a how question. Man asks why, Jesus asks how. Man asks, why did this happen? And Jesus asks, how might my father's glory be displayed through this situation? John 9, 3 says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the answer to Israel's question today is so that God's glory might be displayed in and through them, that their story would declare Yahweh, that our story would declare him too. But how will he do it? How will he use this defeat for glory, this death for glory, this selfish act for glory, this disaster for glory? I can have almost as big of a temper tantrum with the how. Lord, I don't understand, and I trust that you will use it for your glory, but how can I live not actually knowing how? We cannot pretend to know. We cannot declare an understanding. But Isaiah 55, 8 through 10 is our stronghold, that his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher, and are not our own. Truly, in order to endure the wise and wait for eternity to see the house, We need awe. Would you look around this room now and acknowledge the whys that fill this place? Would you just look around at each other? And would you whisper now with me, I see his glory. I see his glory. And I am in awe. I am in awe. Say love. So Israel has asked the question, why has the Lord defeated us today? Let's look at three missed steps. No relationship, no pause, no awe. First, there's no relationship. They're not talking to him. They're asking each other. We miss out on him when we just talk to each other about the why. And I can relate to this one. Anyone else? Let's be honest. Who is actually the first person you text when you want to say, why? Seriously, God, why? When we got the email after the tornado that our kids were not only going to be bused to different schools, but that it would be through January, I was immediately on the phone with Elise screaming from my back porch. I'm sure she could hear me in the phone and from our houses, the distance between our houses. Second, there's no pause. There's no let's pray. There's no listening and receiving answers and his presence and guidance. There's no let's fast. And ask Yahweh what our next move is. There's no just be still on their radar. It is, we have a problem, let's fix it. And their plan is to go get God. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. It will come across as spiritual. It will get God to give us favor. It will do the trick. But this response is spiritually empty. But I don't want to point fingers here either. I can relate to this too. I've on too many occasions reacted this way. And by reacted, I mean, I thought I was doing the right, maybe spiritual thing, but was really missing God and the spirit and was just doing so that I could feel better about my situation. God was very gracious to me this September. This is just a peek into my last year and most recent why. 
We all have our life detour stories due to COVID. So last year during COVID, I felt God really leading me to homeschooling my three boys. This was hard and also really rich. But as the summer set in, while I was sad to let go of the homeschooling and send them back and actually wanted to want to keep doing it, the Lord just didn't lead us there. It was a really clear no from him. Also on my heart was, how do you want me to serve our family and the greater church with my gifts? Is this the year I'll finally work again? During the summer, Sarah Gamage approached me about a job opening at CCF, and I decided to just enter into the process saying, I'm open either way, God. I also had some timelines in my mind. I'm thinking I'll get the kids off to school September 1st, lay on the couch a week, reorganize the whole house, go out to lunches, do some reading, definitely get the holidays done and over with, and maybe start working in January. This particular job, however, needed someone immediately. So the doors continue to open and we move forward with my start date being that first week of September. Well, it's no news flash to remind us that the tornado hitting Fort Washington, inducing trauma and closing my youngest two boys school felt like a really big why. Why on earth, after all that we have been dealt with the past year, would it be good for our community to be uprooted again? And why did you have me take this job, Lord, when now my kid's school is starting out virtually? How we can have this natural call to action in crisis, right? I can fix this. What should I do? And here's where God's faithfulness and his gracious to me was felt so deeply. Had I not taken this new job, I would have immediately pulled my kids out of school and said, we're homeschooling again, not having them deal with a back and forth situation. And in essence, that would have been a fine solution. And for some, it is. But God and I had already been through this decision. And he had already given me a no. But he knows my heart. And he knew that without protection in place, I would have intervened in his plan for my kids' stories this year, as well as my own story. He had hedged me in behind and before, giving me a clear path for a faith. Aaron, do this job. I need you there. Let the kids go to school. I need them in these new buildings. The answer to your why did this happen doesn't need to be answered with you taking new action. It needs to be answered with how will my glory be displayed? Be still and rest in who I am. Stand in awe. How many times have you begged and begged for a situation to change and you dig in your heels and you won't accept it as the way your life is going to pan out? And cling to, it's not fair. I don't deserve this. They don't deserve this. And I need to figure out a way to claw my way out of this. But where God wants his glory shown is not in a miraculous situational change or in a change that you have altered and adjusted, but in a miraculous heart change. A Lord, I was defeated today and my heart aches and I need you change. How are you working through my life right now for your glory? How will you use this for your kingdom? But be gentle with me, Father, because this defeat feels unlivable, and I'm going to need to be still for a while until the dust of this devastation settles. Some of us may feel like this is exactly where we are. And other as others of us may feel differently, maybe on the move to set things straight and take action. And God can use it all. Even the we can fix this hearts. 
But many are the plans in the mind of a man, but is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Be gentle with us, Father, as we try to work it out. We want to trust you, but we are frail. Remember that we are but dust. Back to Israel. Okay, so the first thing that was missing was relationship. Second was the pod. pause. The third thing that is missing is the awe. The elders had decided they would go get God by getting the ark. The Ark of the Covenant was a sacred portable box carrying the two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. It was about four feet long by two feet wide and high and covered in gold. Now, the Ark had traveled with Israel as they journeyed through the wilderness, but currently it was in the temple at Shiloh. Israel had memory of the Ark when crossing the Jordan River and at the destruction of Jericho, and these memories were of power and victory and freedom all things that the presence of the Lord represents and gives to his people. But the problem with their thinking is that it implies they can force God's hand. Dale Ralph Davis says their assumption is if we bring the ark to battle, Yahweh will be forced to deliver us to protect his honor. Should something happen to the ark, it would make Yahweh the loser. And naturally he would not allow that to happen. He'll have to save us now as his honor's at stake. But see, this isn't faith. This is using the spiritual things of God to get what we want. There's no awe or honor. There's no, you are God and we are not. It's a human, headstrong, honorless act. Israel was incorrectly believing that the Lord's presence with the ark was guaranteed instead of being in his sovereign hands. This kind of thinking was more aligned to the pagan religions of the neighbors, right? That the little G God was identified with the symbol of its presence. So. What does this look like in our life? What are the arcs that we can use to earn God's favored hand? Is it personal quiet times, family devotions, church attendance, serving status? These are all really good things, right? And God's presence is working in and through all of them. But they don't promise a happily ever after outcome. We might suppose of them. God cannot be manipulated. See, Israel wasn't wrong. There's power in the ark. There's power in those things I just mentioned. The presence of God is there. But what Israel was missing was the awe, the wonder, the humility, the repentance. As we engage with our quote-unquote arks, we have to understand them for what they are, a vessel of the sovereignty and power of the Lord that cannot be manipulated to our desires. So the ark is brought back in order for Israel to use it to fight the Philistines. And with it comes Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons. Now, I know we discussed these boys in great detail last week with Janet. So this is just an additional side note about them. It's important to see that Israel is seeking the presence of God. And yet who it is traveling with are people who essentially oppose his honor and glory. They have no respect for God, his temple, his worship, his people, his church, and yet they are still in a place of great responsibility over the people. This just needs to be a reminder to us that just because someone has a position in a place that seems like it makes them trustworthy, that's not always the case. Who we listen to in sermons, podcasts, blogs, books, whichever your choice of input on the Christian circuit is, what they're saying and living needs to match up to his word. Their position and power can't be what gives them allegiance to speak into our lives. Okay, 
So the ark comes, the people shout, and the Philistines' response in verse 8 is, Woe, woe to us. There's some awe. There's some anguish. There is a question of who is this God of Israel? And here is where they and we can make a choice. Awe or action. Israel had the same missed opportunity when they lost the last battle. Do we bow our heads in prayer with humility to the one who ordains our steps and the outcomes of our battles? Or should we get up and do something to get out of this mess? And awe is skipped over once again. The Philistines see the consequences of losing the war, which would be to become Israel's slaves. They grieve the outcome, but not their standing with God. Dr. Russell Moore in a sermon on this chapter said, you can want to be delivered from consequences and not be repentant before God. And Jackie Hill Perry in her newest book, Holier Than Thou, points out that when Isaiah is confronted with the majesty and glory of the Lord in Isaiah 6, after hearing the seraphim singing and worshiping with, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory, Isaiah doesn't join in with singing, but he shouts, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And similarly, in Luke chapter 5, when Peter realizes that he has encountered the Messiah, his response is, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I hear a tinge of woe is me in there, don't you? When we encounter the holiness of God, we can choose awe and repentance, or we can get up and fight like hell for ourselves. The Philistines were so close. Maybe a few steps ahead of Israel, they started with woe, woe to us. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. They're almost on their knees. But then they chose the latter. Enter human strength. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. This battle was a stage set for God's glory. Israel had brought the ark into battle, hoping it would be their key to victory. And instead, God used it as a way to fulfill his promise. The battle summary is brief. The Philistines fought. Israel's defeated, they fled, and 30,000 Israelites died. The ark was captured. And then here is the climax. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Herein lies the fulfillment of God's word in chapter 2, verse 34. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. It's not often that we get to see God's handiwork in the defeat, this side of heaven. But where God has a will, he will make a way. And he's using the messy tapestry of our lives to write his perfect story where his holiness reigns and his glory is proclaimed. Hophni and Phinehas' death now opens the door for Samuel to enter for there to be restoration in the leadership of Israel for God's mysterious yet established plan to unfold. Here is the answer to Israel's why. Our passage now turns to Eli. He is blind and old and overweight. 
Remember back in chapter two when God warned him about the consequences of fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of the people's offerings? He is bearing the weight of his choices, his choice not to honor the Lord and bearing them literally. Here comes the messenger. Verse 12 reads, a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. These descriptors are used throughout scripture, the tearing of the clothes, the marking of dirt on one's head. These indicate grief and sorrow and marks this messenger as a bearer of bad news. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. So this is important. It doesn't say that his heart trembled for Israel's army or that his heart trembled for his sons. He knew that taking the ark into the battle was not only a risk, but wrong. And as the messenger reveals the hard, ugly truth from the day, it is only in hearing of the capture of the ark that Eli is undone, falling backward and dying. Eli dies because he has lived a life of, as Phillips Long put it, spiritual carelessness. And the consequences killed him. The problem with Eli was a lack of awe. He didn't stand in awe of Yahweh. He didn't honor and give weight to the Almighty One. When encountering the living God, he wasn't struck with a woe is me attitude and repent. He lived a lukewarm, spiritually careless life. This is from Revelation 3. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So how do we check ourselves for this? Do we find ourselves in awe of God? of his holiness? And do we repent? Do we find ourselves on our knees, regularly repenting with humility? And honestly, it's the spirit that even puts us there, right? From Romans 2. It's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. We are so inwardly focused 99% of the time, consumed by our life, meditating on our own thoughts, obsessing with our own plans, desires, or trials, without a discipline of turning away from ourselves and looking upward, our lives can easily become spiritually careless. A heart in awe of a holy God will respond with, woe is me, I am a sinner, and will be led to a heart of repentance. And we see just that in our final character in chapter four. Phineas's wife, Eli's daughter-in-law is pregnant. And when she hears the news about the ark, her husband and her father-in-law, she goes into labor and gives birth to a son. As she is dying, the midwives are trying to encourage her with, but you have a son. Isn't this all Hannah wanted in the opening of the book? Isn't this enough to live for? But Phineas's wife knows this is not enough. She knows that even in the birth of new life, glory cannot be restored. As she dies, she wrestles with the gravity of sin and shame humanness brings. She names her son Ichabod, which means the glory has departed from Israel. And it wasn't that the glory of God was gone because the ark was gone. 
it was gone because Israel did not have awe. The glory was not there in the first place. Yet she knew Yahweh. Her response to him was awe, was woe, was repentance. This woman who was married to a man who lived in sin with his careless spirituality knew there was nothing this side of her life that could save them. So where's the story go from here? These verses are our Jesus storybook Bible window into the gospel. That only in Jesus is there a pair for the lack of honor and awe and woe. Only through the glory of God, through Christ, can glory be restored. Louis Giglio said once, Jesus did not come to make bad people good people. He came to make dead people alive. Lord, help us not manage our sin or help it make it easier to live with it. For, uh, for us to cry out in me, Lord, the glory is gone. And would you extend your grace and make us alive in Christ? I'm going to touch just very briefly now on chapter five, which leads us into the grossest parade in history. The chapter be- opens with the Philistine god Dagon falling on its face before the ark, which after being captured by the Philistines was set up in the house of Dagon in Ashdod. They quickly realized they needed to get the ark out of there for the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors. They still weren't choosing awe. They were choosing action and doing. They asked, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord of Israel? So the ark moves to Gath, same gross afflictions there on to Ekron. Once again, tumors, death, despair. And finally they decide enough is enough and they need to do something different. The parade ends here. No awe, woe, no heart change yet. We'll leave that to Beth Ann for next week. So what can we take from these two chapters? These are those questions I ask myself whenever I'm studying a passage of scripture, and you can go back and find your own answers if you'd like, but these were mine. Number one, who is God? He is the one who fulfills his promises. He is the one who carries out his glory in every why we face. He is the one whose kindness is what leads us to repentance. He is God and we are not. He is the God over every little G God. And he is the one who makes us alive in Christ. Number two, what's he asking of us? To be in awe of him. To pause in every decision, every crisis, even everyday moments and seek his will first to be leery of being lukewarm and spiritually careless, to look up, not in, and to ask how in our whys. So what if we do? We'll be free from duty. We will find freedom and repentance. We'll have peace in navigating our whys. We will walk with him as friends, and we will be people who are alive in Christ. Let's pray. God, there's always so much in your word for us, even with just the fulfillment of your word about Eli's sons. We're in awe of how you work your glory in the stories we don't always understand. We want to trust you and we need your strength in order to have this faith. This faith we want that has awe and wonder and woe before you. We want to look up and cry out, holy, holy, holy Lord. Lift our eyes, lift our hearts, 
Keep us tied to your word so that we are led by your spirit and not the work of human hands. For every why in this room, Lord, protect us from doubt and fear. Hedge us in behind and before so that the path is clear. You are God and we are not. And as we seek you now, Father, we ask for your gentleness with us as we walk in this spiritual battlefield. It's in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.